Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. If you're a technician right now and your back doesn't hurt, I can tell you right now, someday it will. Once your body wears out to the point that you cannot make that company money anymore, you will not have a job. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Welcome back, everyone. We're welcome to another episode of the Jade Mechanic. With me tonight, a really good friend of mine. This has been a long time attempt at getting a successful recording done with my friend Jeff Barnes. So, Jeff, say hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. Yeah. How's it? How was your day? <laughs> How was my day? This is my third day working for L One Automotive. Yeah. Um, so. It couldn't get any better. Yeah, it's it's going good then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It looks like it it would be a fantastic, you know. I've only taken one course with Keith, and uh, the the dude's next level, smart, right? But he also seems like a very uh, approachable, you know, professional, easygoing guy. It looks like he'd be, and you know, I think he has a very good idea about what this industry is going to take right how to run it properly and i think that's like you were just alluding to is is important tell us about how the kind of you know let's start from the beginning not too far back but let's start from how did you wind up in this industry and how did you wind up at such a great shop now three days in so I didn't take automotive in high school. Um, my grandfather taught me a lot of stuff. 
and the automotive program was packed full out there. Um, so, uh, me and a buddy of mine, we took small engines and I, uh, I was mowing yards and stuff at the time. So I kind of wanted to know how to service my own stuff. And I did that for about six years. And then, you know, I decided that the, uh, service information was, uh, sparse at the time. It's not anymore, but it was. And, uh, you know, getting any kind of support or any kind of help and just finding technicians for that. And that job was terrible. And, you know, I, I, I actually got away from mechanicing altogether. I did about a year at an office. I thought I wanted to work at an office. So I worked in the mailroom. And they had a, they had a, uh, like a, about a $400,000 postage machine, uh, that would stuff envelopes and fold the paper and it, very complicated, uh, lots of moving parts, uh, machine. And so, you know, my, my biggest highlight of my day there was when the machine would break, I would try and get it fixed before the mechanics would come out to work on it yeah. and fix it. So you said the other it was a pretty mundane job, right? Just sit there and, and oh yeah, count envelopes pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So I could see how that would get thrilling when something would actually break, right? And your instincts kick in, and you get to try and, like you said, try and troubleshoot it and fix it before the the supposed experts of the machine show up. So yeah, I can't. Yeah. That's, it's hard for me to picture you in, in a mailroom. It really is. So, I mean, it's hard for me to picture any technician, honestly, working in a mailroom. So, yeah. Well, they they knew about six months in that that's not where I belonged. So they when when the 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 actually the postage company wanted to hire me th- to work on those machines, um, and they actually did. They made me an offer, and it was it was a good offer at the time. It was about four dollars more an hour than what I was making. But I just started dating my wife, which is my girlfriend at the time. I just started dating her and this job would have been on the road all over Oklahoma and I didn't want to be gone. And so I started dating her. And while I was working at this office, um, she had told me that her dad owned an auto shop. And so I met him and talked to him and everything. And he said, hey, you know, I'm hiring for a lube tech. You should come in, put an application in and, and do an interview with me. So. Um, I did and they hired me and, you know, that started my career in, in the automotive trade. And it's not what I, I, I am not where I, where I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I can say that. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't stay so. as a lube tech though, from what I remember you talking, right? You, you progressed pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Within a year, um, they had, they actually fired the other tech that was there and moved me up. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, I was not prepared for that. I didn't really want that. I didn't have the tools at work, but you know, they found out that I was doing a valve job on a 1.8 turbo Volkswagen on the side and I was doing clutch jobs on the side and stuff like that. And so they just, you know, moved me up. They didn't pay me enough. So, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I kind of bounced between that shop. So when I got married, I didn't want to be working for my father-in-law when I got married because I knew that the first year was going to be really tough. So uh, I went back to the lawnmower shop and I did that for a few years and it had gotten better. 
but it still wasn't what the automotive field was. So um, yeah. pretty seasonal. So I was just going to say, I, I, you know, the, the people I know that dabble in that up here, and now we get a little more snow here than I think you do. So, I mean, if you can, if you can set up a lawnmower, you can kind of probably set up a snowblower, right? So if you get enough work, you can transition. But I know a lot of those guys are busy, you know, a couple months of the year, right? And then people, and you know how it is, Jeff, it's like that stuff is getting harder and harder even to be serviceable from a parts standpoint, right? Like they just, there's not the parts yeah to go and stick a carburetor on it. Like that's cause you know, welcome to the wonderful world of ethanol, right? It's hard on anything that's still running a carburetor. And, um, you know, so I, I can remember working on my friends a few years ago. It wasn't hard to diagnose. It wasn't hard. You just couldn't get parts. And it wasn't even a situation that was a, an older machine. You just couldn't get parts for it. It was not a supported thing because it's like, well, you're only talking about a, you know, an $800 machine here. Well, just because it's only $800 doesn't mean that, you know, people don't want to fix it and just want to throw it away every three years. You know, like some people want to put a $100 carb on it to get it to keep it going for another four years. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But I know those guys up here, it's it's, you know, really, really chaotic. And then you hit that, you know, where everybody's stuff is for the most part is out being used and until they break it. Uh, it doesn't tend to come back in. Right. So, and you know, a lot of those guys have spares, right? They keep spares. So, you know, like lawnmowers or snowblowers, everybody, the, the big operations have spares because they don't, you know, they, they have to keep that moving. Right. So, yeah. So what did you, um, you, you, you went back to the lawnmower shop and then you eventually wound back up right at your father-in-law's shop. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 uh, he needed a tech and he made me a good offer. Um, and when I went back, um, cause before I was hourly, um, cause being a lube tech and then transitioning to a tech, I was hourly. When I went back, I said, I want flat rate. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, can you, you know, are you going to make it on flat rate? And I was like, we'll just never know until we try, you know? And so when I worked there hourly, they had tons of work. I mean, we were 12 to 15 cars a day. Whoa. So, you know, it was busy. There were two techs and two loop techs, you know, it was busy. Um, when I went back on flat rate, my first two weeks, I hit over 40 hours a week. And so I was like, this is going to be good. You know, I'm going to make it here. And then it just started, the pendulum started swinging back and forth. You'd be busy for a week and then dead for a week and then busy for a week and dead for a week. And it was like, I can't, you know, I can't do this, you know, and it it was so sad. It was like the only way I could get a 40 hour paycheck was to take a vacation. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I was like, I can't do this. You know, they gave me some raises and stuff to keep me. I had a 25 hour week guarantee, but so I, I started looking and uh, the very first shop I called and went and interviewed was Shepherd Automotive. That's where I'd been at for the last 10 years or almost 10 years. So can I ask you, what do you think was the, where was the failure in that shop in terms of not being able to keep a steady workflow coming in? Like where, where did they go wrong? So at the time, my father-in-law had a lot of family issues going on that he was dealing with, and he could not focus on the shop. Mm-hmm. 
And and when you like, so you get that train rolling, you know, and you get that, you get that business rolling, you get a lot of customer base, you get a lot of advertising going, you get a lot of cars coming in and you got people that can do the work. You can keep that train going. Yeah. But the moment that that train stops, it takes a long time to get it rolling again. And it's very difficult. And there are a lot of factors working against that shop because of lo- the location it's in and its size, you know, you can only do so much. And so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I made the right move um, for my career anyway. And, uh, you know, I, I did my time at, at Shepard and, you know, it was just time to move on. And it's tough, like, cause I hurt my back so bad that I, I took a salary pay, um, and started doing more Diag and got really good at Diag and, and being a shop foreman and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's tough in, in a smaller shop to be able to pay somebody what they're worth to do that. There's just not enough, you know, uh, of one type of work for them to do. And so I'm not saying that I was a burden on that shop at all. I, I, I did a lot for them, but financially why, you know, when you look at your financials, it's tough to pay somebody that kind of money and not be able to look at a dollar amount that's tied to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's now that I'm gone, he can take the second half of the year and he can put a dollar amount to it and he'll be able to see how much I was adding to that shop. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, it's you know. sad. We see, we see that trend happen a lot. Eh? And it's sad because it's, you know, we've seen the conversation come up in ASOG so many times, right. About how, when you have a foreman role or you have a, a diag heavy, you know, kind of shop foreman, how do you put that into a matrix? How do you put a number on that, right? A return. And it's so hard. There's so many different factors, but I like, you know, I always said at the end of it, it's not really that important, right? If, if because of having that skill set gets that job in the door, at some point we have to maybe look at it as like, okay, so I can't really quantify it, but I need it. I have to have it, right? Because it brings in so much other work. You know, you've you've heard Brian and I talk about that all the time. It, it comes up, you know, constantly. You cannot get the easier work that's going to be on their car if you can't fix the hard stuff too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. People want a one-stop shop. So, I mean, if you've got an expensive guy there and you need him to get the, you know, the, the tough diag done. Yeah, it sucks. Maybe the return on that particular diag jobs, you know, isn't what you wish it could be. Now that's going into a whole other thing of billing and, you know, like we were talking last night and last night's recording, you know, when we have to start actually putting value into what we're selling. But, you know, if you can't solve the car's problem, you can't get the rest of the work on the car to do. So it, it, I'm I'm interested to see you, know, you and I'll keep in touch and how that's going to affect your former employer with you being gone. Well, the but the the things that I that I set in place at that shop, um, and that's what I told him. You know, like the right before I left, we we had a conversation. He actually took me to lunch, um, kind of like a exit interview type thing. And, and I told him, I said, "Listen, these guys are not at my level. These three guys that we hired and, and trained up, they're not." it's going to take them a long time. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. 
but the foundations that we set in place, the, the got them interested in owning a scope, running a scope, you know, doing re- reading, you know, doing the, doing the diag, even if they get stuck, you know, that's fine, but 75% of it, they should be able to do. And so the things I set in place, like doing an inspection on every car, that was one thing that I made them do putting floor mats in the car, putting fender covers on every car. Even when I was up there yesterday, there were still fender covers on those cars. I haven't been there in almost two weeks. That stuff will stay doing a final inspection, wiping your handprints off that type of thing that we, that we put in place. You know, I wrote like a, like a seven step uh, standards of operation or whatever, you know, standards of excellence is what I call it. If they do those things, Okay, everybody else misdiagnoses no matter what. Yep. Everybody. Yes. Everybody else is expensive or cheaper. Everybody else can can do an alignment. Everybody else can do an oil change. But those things that they're doing, not everybody else is doing. And so they'll still be okay. Yeah. They will be fine. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to like I, I thought, man, if I leave here, they're gonna go out of business. And I know a lot of guys think that. They're not. They they were in business before I got there. They may not make as much money. They may make some customers unhappy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So It's like that comment I made last week in changing industry. It's like, I used to think that too. 10 years ago, I thought if I leave here, they're done. You know what I mean? And, and uh, in the last five years, I've seen that it doesn't matter who leaves, where they leave. You're not, you're not going to be, it's not like pulling the plug out of a boat and watching the boat sink. It doesn't have that kind of effect. It may lose a little bit of forward momentum when somebody, you know, vacates, but you're not going to be the one person that's going to cause that ship to sink. None of us are. It eventually, may, you know, but they'll, you know, I, I think with me being there, um, uh, as a foreman and, and the things I was required to do, um, you know, it was, it was tough for me to let these guys suffer and, um, try and figure it out on their own, you know, a lot of times the, the owner's looking at it going, we got to get this car out of here. You need to go back there and help them, you know. And it's not me being mean. It was me saying, hey, if I'm not here, even if I'm just on vacation, they need to be able to do some of this, you know. And so in my absence now, they have to do it. They don't have anybody. And that's how that's where I was when I started there. I didn't really have anybody. And it 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 molded me into what I am now, you know. And so I think it's going to do them well. And, you know, I, I was there yesterday and they had, they had a car that the, the guy that replaced me had diagnosed and had tried to sell a transmission service and a wheel speed sensor or something on. And they were like, maybe we ought to let somebody else look at this, you know? Yeah. Because the, the transmission fluid on it was bright red. Yeah. It's like, so I don't think that's going to fix it. No, no. So, and the speed sensor. Um, so they let, sorry. And the speed sensor maybe might be having. Maybe. On the, on how the transmission's, you know, what it's doing, but you know, it, it, there's, there's variables there too. Right. So. But the newest tech who, who wants to be a, who wants to do the diagnostic stuff, um, who has, who has, paid for his way to go to ATG classes and uh, went to vision with us twice. Um, 
he took that ticket over and he didn't know that the shop had an exhaust an exhaust back pressure tester so he just made one out of his compression gauge and some fittings and he stuck that in there and he said that thing was at eight psi at idle and when he revved it up it blew the hose off yep so he figured it out you know and that makes me feel good. Not that I did that. He did that for himself, but I, I set the wheels in motion on that, you know. And um, so they're going to be okay, you know. And I, I was there doing a programming on a, a, a used Ford uh, Fusion module, uh, PCM. So that's something that, you know, eventually they'll be able to do. They do have a J-Box and a, a partition PCM that I set up, but right now it's not something that they're going to be able to do without sending somebody to class, you know? So did you worry about that? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but did you worry about that when you kind of took this job with L1 and you knew that you might be going back into that shop to do some programming for them or, you know, stuff like that? Did did you worry at first that you wouldn't be all that welcome or did you kind of... No. No, it was pretty safe. Yeah, no, I, it was, we're still in, we're, we're still all friends, you know, there's a reason why I stayed there for 10 years. There's a reason why they kept me there for 10 years, you know, I mean, yeah, I could be an asshole and, and I'm, you know, when it comes to most things, I'm always right. But, uh, you know, it, I think, I think he just, he saw it and what, what do you, it's not like I was leaving to go to a competitor, you know? You know, it's like I was going across the street, and I mean, I'm. It, that's what I've always said. If 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 my wife wanted to leave me for for Jason Momoa, I, I'm not going to be upset. You know, I'm, okay, I get it, and I think that's kind of how he felt about it. You know, he's like, this guy's taking a career move that could take him places further than what this shop can, and I'm still going to be around. I'm still going to help them. It's going to cost, you know, but. They can still get this stuff done. They made money on that programming and they didn't have to lift a finger. Dude towed it in. They sold the programming for, you know, I don't know, let's say 300 bucks and we did it for 154. Yeah. They made money. Easy money. More money than they did when I was working. Easy there. money. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to bring the rates up then. <laughs> huh? Time to bring the rates up then. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, that sounds really good, and, I, and I'm I'm glad because I think that some of us, when we when we do leave a job like that, right, and we've we've all heard the horror stories. I mean, you and I have talked about some of the horror stories. Uh, somebody messaged me just earlier tonight after listening to uh, the podcast that dropped today, and they had quite a horror story about you know their two weeks notice and how their shop owner was. And but I mean, you know, every community, it's kind of. I don't want to say it's tight knit, but a lot of people know each other, right? In terms of, you know, this tech works here and that owner is like this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's something that definitely people make a consideration when they make moves, right? As to is how is it going to look or God, how, how comfortable am I going to be? How well am I going to fit? Because you never know until you, to get there, right? You never know. Like we, you made your move to, to L1 and, you know, Keith's pretty well known. Uh, we know what he's like. Uh, he's got a stellar reputation. But did you have any apprehension at all? I mean, other than of, of going? Because, I mean, it still is a new shop. It's new coworkers, new, you know. Or did you have any kind of enough experience with them 
before making the move that you felt like it's just, you know. I, I mean, I, I've been friends with the two Zachs for a while. I've known them for a couple years anyway. Um, and I've known Keith for like five years. So I went up there in January and went and rode with, with one of their uh, guys, Zach, um, for a day. You know, I, I would say my apprehension is I've been in the shop for my entire career, and and now I have to deal with customers. Okay, yeah, so yeah, because your your role now is you're 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 doing mobile for Keith, right? You're right. You're out programming and mobile diag, mobile programming. So yeah, yeah. Which before you you were just kind of handed a work order and a set of keys and not as much customer relations right but right so i, I think you're going to do fine at that i don't think at all it's it's going to be any kind of you know difficulty for you well, you're a well spoken you, uh, you know i mean working so i'm not dealing with the owner of the car you know so it's just still like dealing with a service advisor, an owner, and a technician. I mean, it's the last four years really prepped me for doing this. I have to go talk to the tech, and I have to tell him why he was wrong or where he you know, went down the rabbit hole. Yep. And I don't have a problem doing that. I, I've done that you know, for a while, and I've had techs that get upset at me. You know, They don't want anybody looking at their work, you know they get offended by it and stuff. And I don't do it in a uh, condescending way or I try not to. I, I'm sure sometimes when you're, it's tough when you're, when you're telling somebody what they did wrong, you, you can hurt some feelings, you know, sure. that's not my goal is to go into these shops and tell them what they're doing wrong. I'm just helping them get to the next step so they can get that car out of their bay and make their customer happy, you know? And if, you know, if they get offended by that, that's fine that's when I tell them that there's training classes in Tulsa coming up, you know, and they can pay for that and go, you know, that's where I learned it from. That's how I know to do it. And they're welcome to go to those classes. You know, one thing that we, we don't, we don't do is uh, deprive uh, our customers of the opportunity of learning this stuff. Even though you would think that, well, that could cut you off at the knees and, and, you know, hurt your business. I really don't think it will. I think there's still going to be enough to go around, you know. So what what it would what it would help is like the shop that I've been at this week multiple times is they they if they could you know learn some electrical and know that uh, to stop swapping the PCMs in these Hondas because they're creating more and more problems, you know. Yeah, so. I I agree. I don't think that you you know you guys around and saying okay well we show up at your shop and we do this for you but if you want to learn what i just did you know come out to this course and we'll show you exactly what we did we'll tell you what equipment you need and how to log in and do it and all that kind of stuff it it's i think that is way more welcoming than to somebody to show up and you know act like it's you're the wizard behind the curtain you know at wizard of oz and and keep all these little secrets and just hand them a bill and not really tell anybody anything i think that's sometimes when mobile guys get a bad rap or people are apprehensive to to use one it's because i think there are guys out there that do that and i understand why they do it i'm not this is not me running them down i just 
I think that if you show them a little bit of what you're doing and give them the offer, they're not going to jump all over to try and, you know, keep minimum how many times they have to call you. They just want everything. I think everybody just wants to become better. Right. And they let's be real. We just want to get the cars done. You know, I think that's even sometimes why talk the way we do. And it, it, some people, like you said, when people's feelings get hurt or it comes across as crass or, you know, it's because we're so used to that time crunch, you know, uh, of it's already a problem car. It's already overdue. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it just sometimes comes out a little crass and it's not meant to. So, well, the way I see it is this, sometimes they don't, sometimes being shown uh, how we do it roots them even further into knowing that they shouldn't be doing it. Right. Yeah. And so even though they may go to the class, it's a 50, 50 shot if they're going to pick it up and take off and run with it and we never hear from them again, or it's going to make them go, holy crap. These guys are no joke, and we have no business doing this. We're, we're just going to keep doing what we can do and let them do this other stuff. And, you know, nobody can do it all. And yep. I spent the last five or six years trying to do it all Yes, at the shop I was at. It costs a lot of money, costs me a lot of time learning it, and then I don't see enough of it to really get good at it. And so you got to draw a line somewhere, and, you know, Walmart tries to do it all. Walmart can't do it all. And Walmart's a multi-billion dollar company and they cannot do it all. That's why their, their auto shop does tires and oil changes. Yep. They know, you know? And so it, I don't want to, dep- I just don't want to deprive anyone. If, if a tech comes up to me and, and I go, man, if I tell him to go to this class and he picks up a J box and he starts doing this, it's going to cost me money. So be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they're, if, if it helps them service their customer, fine they'll they'll still call us for stuff and you know we'll still have a customer and we'll be okay you know it's just like you keep asking people and we've heard this question a lot on changing the industry you know and and from from the flat rate uh master you know do you know do you change are you change are you training your replacement replacement yeah yeah yes (laughs) absolutely (laughs) You know, because when I get to be 65 years old, I need a good technician because I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. I'm just not, you know. So, you know, yes. Amen. I mean, you know, I might not be here tomorrow. Yeah. And there's, you know what, there is, I think, honestly, there's, there's more and more tech coming every day. And I think there's going to be more than enough customers for the people that can, can do the tech to get it done. I don't, I think we're eventually, we are going to run out of time just to get these kind of jobs done because I think it's as it keeps going and you know, the, the technician shortage gets bigger by the day. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody, like you said, picks up a J box, goes to one of the L1's training courses and starts to have to call you guys less, there'll be another customer ringing your phone that needs you guys to come and put out a fire is there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the evolution of what this business is supposed to be. You know, it's, how many years ago, you know, 30 years ago, there wasn't a mobile tech hardly to speak of, right? And now look at how it's blown up in the last 20 years, right? It's just gotten to be huge because that's what the technology demands. And that's how the business is kind of set up that it's like you don't want to turn that customer away that's a regular customer and say, I can't do that. You don't want to send them back to the dealer. 
you've built a rapport with them. So you call in the expert that can do it and you keep everybody happy. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very good necessary thing. Um, you know, yeah. I, and I, I, yeah. I applaud you guys for, you know, for doing the training and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, and it's not just the training in the class. It's like you said, you know, I, I don't think you're going to be the type or anybody that would work for L1. If the, if the tech is there and, you know, he wants to come over and look over your shoulder as you're doing the programming, you guys are not going to say, Hey, get away from me. Don't, you know, you're going to be more than helpful in showing them what's happening because that's what it's about. You know, thank goodness. Somebody showed you at some point, right? Yeah. So we have to, right. we have to keep showing the next generation. I, I think that the, the jaded idea of training your replacement, everybody knows my background. And, and I've talked about it at a dealership. Yeah, it's a, it's a very real thing. And uh, it's, I take a very different attitude towards it when I'm in the dealer because of the, like we talked about the dog eat dog environment, right? You have to be very cautious about how many of your cards are in your hand that you show because, you know, you can get from in a good spot to a not so good spot if you just are always, you know, feeding other people the information that you had to sacrifice to get, you know, I, I, I was, I, I got burned by it, but it, in the end of it, it didn't really burn me to a huge amount. It just, you know, a few hours here, a few hours there, which I mean, maybe that's just natural. I don't know. You know, the, the last shop I, I solicited today because, you know, right now we're, we're trying to get the business rolling and um, get our name out there to shops. And the best way to do that is in person. Um, so they send me out with a flyer sheet and some business cards and ink pens and mouse pads, stuff like that. And, you know, so far the, the reception has been really well. I've only had like one or two shops. And in fact, the, the nastiest hole in the wall shop that I went into uh, that I felt like I was going to get skin cancer standing next to it because of all the oil on the ground yeah. outside, um, which I'm surprised the city hasn't said anything about that. That guy looked me square in the eye and said, we don't need any of this. We can do all of this. And I'm like, I don't believe you, but okay. Uh, here's my flyer anyway. Hang on to it. Cause he was trying to hand it back to me. I'm like, you should hang on to this. Uh-huh. You know, he was about the only one who's been really non-responsive. So the last, but the last shop I went to, uh, there was a guy that when I, when I worked for my father-in-law, I worked with, um, years ago, he was working there and, you know, I went and talked to him a little bit and, you know, he said, Hey, you know, they, he goes, this place that pay me hourly, it's, it's, it's pretty good. But, you know, he said, my foreman, the lead tech here cannot diagnose. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And he said, so he's chasing a misfire on this Ford and he's like, okay, can, can I, is it, you know, just a, like a freaking three valve, like we've seen hundreds of them. And he said, let me show you, you know, he goes, do you know how to find misfires? Which cylinder is misfiring in this truck? And, and the guy's like, no, you know, whatever. And he showed him, he said, here's how you find it. Mode six. Here's how you find it on live data. You know, you've got this solar contribution test. And he said, so, so that guy, the next week gets another misfire and finishes his misfire diag in five minutes because of what my friend showed him. Yeah. And, and then, 
that same truck, the AC wasn't working on, so they gave it to my friend and said, here's a half hour, figure out why the AC is not coming on. <laughs> and so I'm in there today, and I'm like looking at it, and I go, hey, I said, let me give you the quick answer. Mm-hmm. If that truck still got a misfire, yeah, that AC is not coming on. Yep. And I said, don't tell him that one, okay? Let him get his lunch ate for a little while next time he gets stuck on that, okay? But I said, the reason why I know that is because I spent two days on one chasing why the AC wouldn't come on. And all it was is I just needed to fix the misfire first. And so, yep. you know, the... So, so, you know, can you, do you give that information away? Did I just give away, you know, uh, something that I could have sold an hour on at, at this shop? Maybe, well, you know, but I, I can understand in your point, right, in your exact scenario, I would do the same thing. Cause that's, that's a former, that's a friend. That's a former coworker, right? Right. See, right. I want to see him have every tool available to him to look good. You know what I mean? I kind of, I kind of, I'm sitting here as you're telling me the story and I'm thinking, so wait a minute, like your friend sounds like he should be the foreman if, you know, he's able to, you know, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. There's different dynamics obviously in play as to what makes a foreman. Right. And it's not always just about, I've worked with lots of foremen that were not the most competent tech in the shop. You know what I mean? It's sometimes it's about their people skills. It's about their, you know, uh, how they're, if they're a great coach that we've said that before, sometimes what makes the best, you know, really, really good athletes don't always make fantastic coaches. Right. I think in this situation, he's a buddy with the advisor. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. 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 So, but you know, it is what it is. So, so, but, but part of what I've been doing while I'm out and about is I've been asking these shops, I'm like, do you listen to any podcasts? And they're like, about what and i'm like oh automotive podcast and like what do you mean and i'm like i'm gonna build a flyer sheet for that too <laughs> you know just with a, like a laminated yeah. flyer sheet hey you know this is our owner you know because we need we need that you know people i tell them you know i go do you know keith perkins and they're like no and i'm like you need this flyer <laughs> you know and so we, we need some information about him but you know we need some information about this, this other stuff that's going on in the industry. And, you know, I told you once before that I, I couldn't change the industry from working at one shop. I don't know anybody in Oklahoma city. None of these people know me except for, I think I've two, two guys that I used to work with. I went to their shops just cause that's an easy in, you know, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get, if, if you have stickers, you know, I'm getting stickers from you. If, if, if the, the changing the industry podcast guys have stickers, I'm getting stickers from them. If Matt Fonslow has them, you know, any of the other guys, uh, the automotive diagnostic podcast, all of these, I'm going to make flyers. We're going to get this rolling down here because this, I tell you right now, Oklahoma city is way behind. Yeah. You know, I'm just lucky to have met Keith five years ago. Yeah. I, and, and yeah, it's, um, as crazy as you think it is there up here, it is even, it is even, it's much worse. Like I could probably count on, I couldn't even count. There isn't five people in my local area that those names that you all just mentioned would, they would know who they are that I'm on, that I know no. on a person name basis anyway. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and I'm not trying to say everybody should be at the Paul Danner level of being known. Although we could, it, it's crazy how many people you still talk in the industry that have never. They won't know him either. Right. But I mean, 
<laughs> There's a handful of people that I talk to in the industry locally, and they don't, they wouldn't know who, you know, Keith is or what ASOG is or anything else. And I, I, I understand why it is. I think it's just some of us, some people are just, they can bring the car in and they get the car fixed and the car goes out the door. And when they turn the key in the lock at five o'clock and they go home, they're not thinking about this kind of stuff, right? They're, they're on to maybe, you know, arguably the, the really important stuff. They're, they're into their family stuff and, and that's all cool. But I mean, man, it's hard for me to still wrap my head around the idea that like a guy like Keith and, you know, Matt Fonslow and, and it, that they don't know who they are. You know what I mean? That they don't know. I guess if you're not, it goes back to what they're always talking about in ASOG and changing industry, right? If you're not in that 10% of the, of the industry that's actually doing continuous training and, and upgrading and whatever you want to call it, you may not know, you may not know. And, uh, but it's, it's baffling to me, you know, and it's worse up here. I can honestly say in, up in Canada, I'm talking to more and more guys and I, the big cities I'm sure are probably different, but in my rural kind of little hole in the in the province it's not we're behind too for sure we're definitely behind you know it's it's the the you know the it's even crazy when you go to the napa training that happens once a month you know you'll see the same 10 12 shops are there got representation there and that's such a small fraction of what's around locally you're just like, how can this, this is actually a really good course. How come there's not more people here? And, uh, you know, we can go into a whole other different situations about, well, you know, it's the fact that it's at five o'clock at night and it's on a Monday and it's, you know, people are tired, all that kind of stuff. So, but well, when you walk into these shops, what do you see? Like when you see it, when you get in there now, I know it's a lot of it is programming, but what do you, what's the, what's the general shop when you walk in? What's it look like? What's it feel like? Does it feel like that they're, they're getting a lot of that work and they need to make the transition to more tooling and more training? Like this is just a one and done type car once a, every three months or something, this kind of problem. Hold on. I this let me go shut this dog up because yeah, okay. <laughs> he had sir. So. Go see what he wants. There we go. So we're back recording. Okay. So, uh, so, so the shops, the shops I've been to are kind of a mixed bag. I've been in some really clean, really nice shops that I'm like, wow, this <laughs> this looks like a great place. You know, I didn't even know this was here. And literally across the street, I'm like, holy crap! Like. What? How has the city not shut this place down? You know, so it, it's kind of a mixed bag. But you know, I, I've kind of mentioned training and and you know some of the other industry stuff, and they don't have a clue. And so I'm like, well, you know, if you're already doing this well, and one of these, you know, a couple of these shops, if you're already doing this well, you're, you're only going to do better. You know, if you find out about this stuff, so everybody needs it. Even the nice shops are going to need it. None of us are immune to what's already here and what's coming. So, you know, I, I just, it's, it's every business is like that though. There's some restaurants I won't go into, <laughs> Yeah, you know, 
and there's some really fancy restaurants that have really crappy food, you know? Yeah. So it's, you just never really know. I think there's never going to be standardization in our industry. So, you know, and, and the, some of the crappiest looking shops were the busiest ones I was at. And I'm like, ew, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. But, and that does sense. When you see a full parking lot, that normally, regardless of the image, right? If you're seeing a full parking lot, um, Michael Berg talked about, and he just absolutely dropped a video this morning talking about how when people are looking for jobs to, as techs, key things to look for, right? And he's actually talking about kind of like, you know, scoping out the places that you want to go and make sure that the parking lot, the cars are not the same cars five days later just sitting there because that's a red flag, stuff like that. So when I see a full parking lot and I see, you know, regardless of what it looks like, if it's always different cars, they're doing something right, right? They're they're getting they're they're they've got a market, that's for sure. They've got a reputation, whatever it may be, whether it's just that they're cheap or that they're fast or but you know, it, it's something. You know, you hate to go by and see uh, that's what I always hate about the summertime is you can drive by a shop and up here the doors are all open. And I mean, there's lots of days you drive past two in the afternoon, say middle of the week, uh, there'd be, you know, four open bay doors and there isn't a car on any, any hoist. Now you could say, okay, mm-hmm. all out being driven. Okay, sure. But you know, that's, that's, that's something that if I was going to be applying for, I probably wouldn't, you know, run right in there first because they're probably not that busy. So. Yeah, so mobile for me at one point I thought that was going to be my my future in the industry, and I'm glad I didn't do it because a Canada winter sucks <laughs> to do mm-hmm. anything working outside, and and then B I don't know if I've got the right you know the right stuff to 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 handle the kind of customers. But I, I see some of these guys, you know what you like, what you watch them on YouTube or whatever, right? And you see them and it's like, eesh, you know, those cars that you're getting called out to work on or those jobs you're getting called out to do. It's just like, I don't think I would want that clientele. I don't think I could, could handle some of those clientels because it's just, you know, you're, you're stopping at the zone and picking up the worst, cheapest parts and putting them on the car and collecting your money and driving away and you don't care if it fixes it or not. Right. It's a, somebody else, some other shop told them they needed X, Y, and Z and you beat their quote. So you go and install X, Y, and Z and drive off out in the sunset. And it's a, yeah, it's not really what I wanted to do. And I don't think it was that way of doing it is necessarily the best thing for the industry. Um, but what you guys are doing completely different thing altogether. It's kind of, you know, well, you know, like the, the first shop I went to, they, they, um, were, were going through a list of cars, um, that they had a tech that was working there. Um, he had screwed up. They, the, the foreman told me this dude had a power probe and, uh, shouldn't ever be allowed to use one ever again. So, um, so I'm kind of going through some really, some cars that have been there for a little while and they've got a new crew right now. Um, and I'm just helping them get through them. And, you know, one of them is a little Honda Civic that had terrible misfires. They'd already done coils and plugs. Um, and it just kept going in a limp mode. And, 
you know, I'm driving this car and I can kind of hear it groaning under load. And, um, you know, it, once it goes in limp mode, man, it just would really just lean out and just start running terrible. You can't get it to drive anymore. You have no throttle. So you get like this little window of time while driving it to, to get a little bit of data capture. And, um, it, it's really tough to make a decision on that. Um, and so, I'm looking at it and, and, you know, it's, it's rich upstream, it's lean downstream and it's had misfires. So I'm like the cat's probably clogged. And on this car, the oxygen sensor is super easy to remove. So I pull it out, I throw a gauge in it, I take off down the road and would you know it above 3000 RPMs, I'm at seven PSI. Mm-hmm. It's too high, you know, for four cylinder. It just, Way too high, yeah. so I, I, I have to tell them, Hey, you know, this car needs a catalytic converter. I can't go any further. Mm-hmm. I know it's expensive. Um, I know what situation you're in with the customer and everything, but I can't, I can't test any further. Your coils are working. You know, those are new. They, and I tested them. They're, they're good. Sparkline looks great. Um, you know, but, but I, I'm kind of peeling back the uh, layers of this onion that, that they've got here. And, um, you know, and I, and I should have known too, I, the, the other cars that I'd looked at for them, they, they've been swapping PCMs on them because you can on a Honda, you can, swap the PCM and write the VIN number and learn the key with a snap on scan tool. Um, so, you know, <laughs> they, they, they told me, they said, if we put a cat on this car and it's still doing this, you know, what, what's the next step? And I said, I'll come out, confirm that the cat doesn't have a, a restriction anymore, but if it needs anything further than that, it's going to cost a little more. Um, so, you know, I, I did, I sold another hour, um, and I scoped injectors on it. This thing was running pig rich mm-hmm. off idle, but flooring it, it would not go into limp mode floored, you know, idle. It won't go into limp mode, but part throttle, man, it, it just, just, it stinks like rotten eggs, you know? And so, you know, he said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I would confirm the injectors before I sold them. And I said, I'm going to give you data captures off of the lab scope and I'm going to give you a known good. So you can show your customer, mm-hmm. um, and so I went on Google, I found a known good uh, of a pental hump on a amp ramp and on the, the you know, the voltage uh, spike. And it, it had everything laid out there. It said, this is your amp ramp. This is the pental hump opening. This is the pental hump closing. And then I uh, scoped the injectors on it. And sure enough, none of them have any pental humps on them. So, and I go to him and he's, and he's got his head in his hands like, you know, like this, you know, and I said, listen, this isn't your car. You didn't break this car. That's right. You know, you're just trying to help them fix it. You, you know, you don't own it. It's if what's the worst that's going to happen. They come get their car and they're unhappy. They give you a bad review. You know, he said, man, I just, I really get, I really get upset about bad reviews. And I said, I get it, but this will pass. There'll be more customers. You've got to get out of this one, you know? And that so pull my hair when somebody says that I really get stressed about bad reviews. Cause to me, you should be stressed about the fact that you didn't fix the car. You know what I mean? Right. But coming from, but let's they, put the priority, tech put them in a bad spot. Sure. Cause we know that it probably what killed the cat was the, the crap injectors. Right. And I mean, I, I'm, it sounds to me and again, I'm, I'm not there, but it sounded to me like maybe this thing's had an engine swapped at some point or something's been swapped and you've got some injectors that are, sat in a junkyard engine for who knows how long right and they no longer they no longer I, spray so you well, know right this 
this particular car is covered in silt. Oklahoma is very dry and very sandy. Um, and this car is covered in fine dust. And so I, I set them up for success on this. I said, you sell these injectors, but when you pull the line off and you pull the injector rail off of this, you dump it into a glass container and you look at the fuel. And if it looks murky at all, it needs a fuel filter. And that means on this car, it needs a fuel pump. And I said, warn your customer, make them understand that if it comes to pulling the pump, it may come to pulling the tank and cleaning out all this dust. And I said, I, I hate that you're in the situation, but you didn't break this car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, their tech misdiagnosed it. Okay. So, so maybe they, maybe they, maybe they take the coils and the plugs out of it mm -hmm. and keep them for another car. You know, I mean, they got a bunch of Hondas there. So, you know, but everything else has been tested correctly by us. Um, we have the tooling and um, everything's been proven out. You know, I just, I have to tell them, Hey, this is your next step. And then I, that's when I asked him, I said, did you guys put a PCM in this one too? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, do you have the old one? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, we may need that. But right now we're, we're going to do injectors on this car. And, and I have a really good feeling it's going to fix it and it's going to be out of your hair and you're going to move on. So it, it still drives me crazy when people toss PCMs and stuff for low power complaints with no codes that would point to, you know, an easy it, driver being a problem. It just, that's so 1991, you know what I mean? Like it's old Kaiser single board electronic controllers. That was, oh, you just reach over and grab another one from the car and the, plug it in and see what it does. But I, right. I'm going to talk to them about that. And, you know, the, the, like I said, this group of techs are, are new. They're not the ones that were there. They're, it's a whole revamped, they hired they hired a foreman and he brought his own techs in with him. He handpicked. So I, I don't think going forward it'll be as bad. But I can tell you this: there are more modules in this shop than I have installed in my entire career. Wow! Yeah. The thing is, is that for fifty bucks you can get a used module, and on Hondas and Acuras you can swap them around. Now you can't do that on the new stuff, you know. And God help them if they get a global AGM in there and they try this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, they will destroy every module in it. So, so they, but we'll be there for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Are they predominantly a Honda? Like, would they call themselves a Honda specialty shop then? Is that kind of. Uh, they were for years. Yes. And they, and they were, they were one of the best shops in, in our city. Um, and they've, they've had some, some, uh, some hands change, you know, um, and it's still the family, but, um, you know, the, the techs that have been there for years had left and they've kind of cycled through techs. And, um, you know, the, the, for, the foreman told me some of them were on high on methamphetamines when he showed up there and he just started firing people. So I, I've never seen that at a shop, but I've heard about it. And, you know, like, like I say, and he's, he's telling me, he's like, a lot of the problems here is, and I hate to get back into this conversation, but he even told me, he said a lot of the problems that we're having here is flat rate pay. Yeah, these guys are ripping customers off. They're wanting their hours, and we just need to fix the cars. We don't need to be doing this anymore. So, and I, I firmly believe that the and and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I don't care. But um, I firmly believe that the flat rate pay system feeds into addiction. Um, it is an addiction. Uh, chasing numbers is an addiction. 
Yep. And what we should be focused on is just fixing the cars. Yeah. So. Amen. I mean, I'm not, you know, you've heard me say it. We've talked about it, you and I. I'm not against the system. I just think that maybe the system needs to take a holiday from the industry for a while until we bring a back around, we bring up the the practices that need to be there for it to work. I'm not saying it can't ever work. Uh, I'm thinking the window of when it can work is getting smaller by the month with uh, the technologies coming in and the way stuff is going. I'd be a hypocrite to say that it should go away because I made a lot of money on it for a lot of years. I was good. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I think right now when we keep talking, you know, we'll talk about Michael Berg, the flat rate master. When he talks about, you know, well, it it should be all these things should should be going in place and then you should work flat rate because that's the best way to work. I agree, but I have yeah. I count on one hand how many places I've actually worked where they don't try to, you know, shave time to sell a job, where they don't try to uh, shave time to, you know, cut a break. It, that happens more than it doesn't happen still, unfortunately. And I understand we have some stellar people in the industry that stand up and go, I don't do that. I, it works at my shop because great, fantastic. Now, if we could just get the other 85%. To do what you do, we wouldn't have the argument that we're always having about flat rate. And, you know, I think the hybrid plan is still the best plan. I really do. I think, yeah, it is. You know, I think it's because if you can just focus on what the car needs, fix that, you know, um, you still hustle. If you whack a bunch of hours out, you get a bonus. If you get, you know, hit with a bunch of really tough diags or bolts break and stuff goes sideways, you know, you inherit these nightmare cars like this Honda. Then yeah. You still take home a paycheck that you can predict and budget and rely on. That's, that's key. This is what, when the new people that I talk to are getting in the industry, this is what they want. They want to know that I can make at least this amount in a two week span. And that's how I set up to make my car payment, make my rent payment, you know, all this kind of stuff. The days on flat rate where it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, come in and these months are traditionally good months. So I know I can make this, but the rest of the months are really lean. And, you know, my worst ones, I made that. We always think that we're going to make at least what we made. And then we get to those lean months and it's a year later, two years later, and we're not even making that anymore. And that was the trend that I started to see is what used to be my leaner months became some of my better months. And it wasn't me slowing down. It wasn't me becoming dumb. It was just the workflow that's in the shop changes. You know, the jobs that were really gravy, they go away. You know, uh, everybody loved the V6, Chevy V6 intakes, right? Don't do too many of them anymore because a lot of those cars up here, they're in the junkyard. You know, <laughs> like they just, yeah. Um, so, we don't see sometimes those really great jobs come in anymore. And that's the whole thing with flat rate for me is that, yes, there's always work to be done. And yes, if you're fast and you're hustling and you're efficient, yes, it can work. I'm not, but I just want to see the quality of repairs come up before we start to talk about trying to incentivize to get more repairs done. Well, and you got to think about it. Like what if you, what if you're the person who owns the car and you can't get your car fixed anywhere because it's too difficult mm-hmm. for somebody to spend their time on. And these guys at this shop, the reason why I'm there is because they're all going, I'm not touching that. Yeah. That car, that car was your last guy's failure. And 
you know, that's why I'm there. They're, they're like, we're moving on from that because we can't make any money on it, you know? And so, you know, how would you feel if you owned a car and you couldn't get it fixed because you were someone's, uh, you, your car became, uh, someone's inability to eat that week, Yeah, you know, or their kid's ability to have, uh, uh, ink pens for school that week because they couldn't take it on or they would lose their paycheck. And so now they either have to make the choice of, I'm just going to guess until I'm right, which ends up costing the, the customer more money and more time, you know, without their car or, I'm going to, like me, I would just spend my own time. I would just stay late. I'd say, just move this car to the end of the day, and I'd get my one hour for three hours worth of work, you know, where I'd come home and light up a cigar and drink a beer and read forums for three hours while my wife sat in the living room and watched TV by herself, you know, because I I had to fix the car. You know, this person needs their car, and I need it out of my hair. And, um, you know, that's got to stop. And... It does. I just, you know, I talked about this last time. You know, you and I recorded a, a really yeah. good podcast, and we didn't get it up, or I didn't, I didn't get it uploaded all the way. So, um, but but I talked about this. You know, everybody brings up, you know, the barista makes fifteen dollars an hour. Barista, this barista, that, and so you know the way the way the the coffee. Let's just take Starbucks. The way they work is they have a highly paid chef. Um, who went to school and knows how to uh, mix the drinks to, to, to where they taste good so that people will buy them. Um, but the money that he brings in technically is hard to put on paper. And the barista is the guy who is selling drink after drink after drink. And on paper, he's making Starbucks a bunch of money. Yeah. If, you went into Starbucks to start a job and you had your, your, your heart set on becoming a chef and working for Starbucks, but you found out that the barista makes more money than the chef because he's the one who makes more drinks than the chef. You would never leave the position of being a barista. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have any incentive to do it. And if Starbucks didn't have their chefs, they would quickly go out of business once someone else in the industry figured out how to make a better tasting drink. And so our industry right now is full of baristas and we need more chefs. Yep. And that's where the change has to happen. And I think if you're a technician right now and your back doesn't hurt, I can tell you right now, someday it will. Mm -hmm. And if you do not learn to become more valuable in your job. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to train your replacement. You're going to have to learn how to diagnose. You're going to have to learn to be a service advisor or something like that. Once your body wears out to the point that you cannot make that company money anymore, you will not have a job. They will let you go. And that is a sad state of our industry, but it's also up to the technician to make sure his value can transition later on in life. Mm -hmm. And so the earlier you start on that, the better shot you have at it. And, you know, if your shop's not willing to help you out with that, roll the wheels, get moving. And, and, that, and that's, that was the message I was always trying to get across for so many years was because it's like, I, I so there's a mechanic I know, I'm 48, he's 61. 
He's still working at the dealer. He's predominantly now like he he was a, a go to front end guy forever. So like he, he, you know, he had he's had both wrists done for carpal tunnel. He's got ish, elbows issues. He's got knee issues. He's got shoulder issues. Kind of the same kind of stuff I got. And he is still working. And it's like and this is not me disrespecting him at all. But he, I don't want to be that tech that it's like at 61, I'm still over on the front end rack trying to bang out alignments and knock some ball joints out with an air hammer or pound them out with a sledge. I'm Jeff, I'm only 48. And if I use an, if I use my air hammer the next day, I can barely squeeze my right hand. You know, I'm like my elbow is shot. It's, it's, and I'm 48. So I always was trying to get to these young kids. It's like, or young or old, start to work on the stuff that you can use your brain. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's use your brain's not the right word because all of this stuff that we do a day in a day, it requires brains. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it like that, but work on your diag skill, work on your, your troubleshooting skills so that you can swing the hammer less and hook up the scan tool more. It'll be much easier on your body. And, if we could just get the, I think if we could just get the industry to stop thinking an hour is an hour, whether it's I pounded in a ball joint or an hour or I did a diag and it's worth the same amount. If we could get the industry to stop thinking that, then we would really incentivize the generation to actually pick up more and more of the scan tool and go the route that you went. Because, you know, it, it's the only thing I see right now. <sighs> that's going to get some people to be able to have a long career in this industry is because like your body will break down. Mine's breaking down as we speak, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you have to be developing. I said it today. I forget to who, you know, I always hoped that I would see more start to develop the, the thought muscle as the other muscles are starting to, to, just age out because I think that keeps you relevant. It keeps you viable. It keeps you, you know, worth something to the company. If you're not doing that, then it doesn't matter how fast you used to do a ball joints. Um, the young guy over there is still going to be able to do them faster than you. And it's got nothing to do with experience at that point. It's just, you know, physically, physically you're outmatched, you're outgunned. So how do you keep yourself viable? Well, you know, learn to do what he can't do yet. And then, you know, market it for everything you can. Make sure that it's it's rewarded. You know, I was the same way. I used to, just like you, I'd come home at night and I had already spent, you know, the a lot of time on the car and the car still wasn't fixed. And I was, I would drive myself nuts. I'd be on the forums. I'd be on talking to people. I'd be, you know, wh- what do I do? How do I fix this car? Um, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to donate my unpaid time, you know, to to take something on just for pride. You know, pride is important. We all need pride. But I want to be compensated and rewarded for that, doing that which somebody else couldn't do. You know, and uh, we've got to get away from that idea that it's only worth an X amount of hour. We have to get away from that. If you're the only one in the shop that could do it, then you got to get paid for that because you're the one, you're the only one important one to the customer at that point. You're the only important one and that's worth something. And, you know, shop owners, if you're listening, 
<laughs> it might seem like a bad callous attitude. It's not, but it's very, a very real thing. If you've got people there that are starting to say, no, I'm not taking that job or no, I'm not going to take that nightmare car that that guy abandoned and left because you want to pay me flat rate on it. They're not crazy for saying that they have every right because they're just protecting themselves. Right. You know, think about that, Jeff, yeah. like those, those guys, they went in and cleaned house at that shop and they got a bunch of project nightmare cars sitting there and they got a bunch of new people and they're in there and they're on flat rate. I'm not going to go over and look at that car that's been sitting there a month for flat rate. You hand me the keys when it's fixed, it'll get done and, and it'll be great, but I can't, you know, I've got to go and check everything over again. I've got to start from square one. All the time that you paid him doesn't have anything to do with me, right? We have to get to the bottom of the car. I'm not saying that that shop can't work flat rate, but right now, if you've got a bunch of cars like that, you might as well put everybody on a guarantee or some kind of hourly wage, get those cars fixed, bring the culture up in the shop, and then you can talk to them about, hey, do you want to go on flat rate? really hustle and make some money. I think right now they need to bring their abilities up before they start flat rating again. That's just my take on that. Sorry, that got a little rant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the younger generation, I, I think for you and I, um, it, it worked out fine. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I, I always was into cars. I, I like cars. It's pretty much all I ever talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, you can talk politics all you want, but you're just going to piss people off. So, um, and, and I've noticed like trying to, uh, to train the younger generation, they, they're, and I, I say younger, but I'm, I'm 37. Um, I feel like an old soul. People treat me. I'm, I'm I, I am. I'm, and when I, when I grew up, um, learning to work on cars. I held the flashlight for my grandfather. I heard a lot of cuss words. I tried to ask questions and I got the, you know, just shut up. I'm working, you know, and it hardened me, um, to where I knew that that that's not being mean. It's just, he's trying to get this done and, and he's not, he doesn't want me to get hurt. He doesn't want me to break something, you know? Um, and so, but I, I got into it because I, 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 got to do it. I physically got to do it with my grandfather and, um, you know, working on go-karts, working on his hot rods, um, you know, that type of thing. And I noticed the the younger generation, they'll ask me, do you watch this YouTube channel? You know, I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't. And they're like, you know, do you watch this TV show? I'm going to go watch this, you know? Hmm. No, I don't. And that's what got them into it was watching it. The thing is, is that when you watch uh, Roadkill or you watch Hot Rod TV, they don't cuss you out and they don't get mad at you for not holding the flashlight right. Um, they skip over all the knuckle busting and all the cussing and, and having to go to the part store and back and getting the wrong part. And, you know, you just, they skip over all of that. And so these guys expect that they want to come in, they want to build hot rods. They want to do what the YouTube guy does. And I'm like, sorry, we're not putting Holly EFI on this. Here's your carburetor gasket set. Knock yourself out, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, and recently I had to, to I let a tech uh, struggle for two days to drill bolts out of the valve cover 
um, on a, on a three valve Ford. Um, mm-hmm. but he needs to learn to do it. Um, but after two days, he had gone off into the aluminum and got it really screwed up. And so they said, Hey, go, go fix this. Let him move on. Um, okay. So it was just two bolts that I had to do and I had to, you know, take them up to the next size and helical it. It's either that or pull the head. So I can do that. That's fine. He, he got two of them himself. That's good enough. He learned he can do the next ones. Um, so I go over there and start drilling them out and I'm laid up on a topside creeper and it's hot. My glass, my, you know, my safety glasses are fogging over yeah. and I feel like someone's watching me. You know, you just you feel the hair on the back of your neck stand up and I turn and look and he's sitting there with a flashlight and he's watching me. Mm. And I said, um, so, uh, you got brakes to do on this car over here. You know, can you, can you go work on that car? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, I, I just wanted to watch. And I'm like, no. And I, and I, and it clicked in my brain. I went, mm-hmm. he watches YouTube. Yeah. He wants to, don't stand here and watch. Cause it's going to be four hours of hell on my life right now to fix this screw up. And I might be angry at you about it and I might get pissy and you don't need to hear all this. So go do your breaks and I'll tell you what I did when I get done, but this isn't YouTube. So I feel like that's, I feel like that's why a lot of the younger techs, they don't have a thick skin because of that. They, they, they're hard to train because they want to watch. And they're, if I turned to him and said, you know, you little jackass, why didn't you do this? You know, and I'm not being mean. It's just, this is the frustration of having to fix this. You know, now I'm my grandpa and he's me as a, a seven year old holding the flashlight, except he's 28 years old. And um, he's had years of YouTube. Yeah. And Year, so. years of PC, you know, no cuss words, no, no abrasive, no trigger words, um, you know, watching versus like you and I, yeah, I, I went out and held the light for my dad more than once. You know, I, I, I would come out at nine o'clock at night and he'd be covered in, in sanding dust from putting another car together. Right. And he was a body man and he, he worked at home as well as he worked the day job. And I didn't understand the little stuff now that I would watch him do. And once in a while, I'll have to weld a patch a panel on, on a on a car that somebody wants a safety or something like that. And when I have to do that, I'm like, I'm mad at myself because it's one thing to like, I can go on YouTube and watch somebody, you know, bad chat or somebody like that, you know, weld a panel in. That's not hard. But to think that I had somebody right in my own garage that was doing that five nights a week for 20 some years and I didn't pay enough attention to the details on what made it him so good at it, right? I know what makes it, you know, what makes a good job, but I didn't pay enough attention then to to what made him exceptional at it or what made him why he did it one way versus how somebody does it a different way, right? I didn't pay enough attention to that. It was lost on me. I was too young. So, you know, for anyone listening that's in that kind of situation, you know, pay attention to what they're doing and why. Um, Not necessarily at work because, you know, we're on a clock and we got to get stuff done. But, you know, appreciate that they are watching and they are showing some interest. And if you've got somebody that, you know, is mentoring you right now, appreciate that. Pay attention. You know, if you've got that mentorship available to you, appreciate it. You know, and and yeah, I mean, if, if, if someone's willing to mentor you 
and they're older, they're probably going to be cranky. They're, you're probably going to feel like they're, they're, they're talking above your head and making you feel stupid. Um, it's tough when you're a leader like that. And I, and I kind of look at it like the military, you know, they don't, they've softened up down here a lot, you know, with our latest administration and everything, but they're not being mean to you because they hate you. They're not being rude. They're not being, you know, they make you feel like they're just tearing you apart. They care about you. They want you to come home, you know, and they can't be nice. They can't be like, hey, you know, next time don't throw the grenade so close into the rice paddy, you know. No, you know, they're they're going, listen to me, jackass. Don't do that. You're going to get somebody hurt. And if we do that and, and how I got in trouble at my job is if I act like that, it's like, oh, he's being mean, you know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. Yeah. But there's got to be a there's got to be a way that we can train up the younger guys. I just I don't know. I don't know what the balance is with that. You know, I, I don't know how to. Because, because, you know, when I, when I came up in the industry, nobody ever afterwards said, Hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help you out. No, they were just like, you know, Hey, next time do this. Okay. And, and listen to me because, you know, I I may have taught you everything that you know, but I have not taught you everything that I know. And I've had people say that to me multiple times, you know, and, and it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's tough. I, I get it. I mean, I've had my feelings hurt and stuff before, but hey, I'm not as good as the person who's hurting my feelings. So just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it, you know. And 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 the best thing I could do is just do better at it than the person who trained me. That's all I can do. I cannot be perfect. And so long as I do better at it, and then when these guys grow up and get to be my age and they're mentoring somebody, they do better at it and we'll get there, you know. Brother, that's all we can do, and that's the same thing. My, I have, I have a young young person that just started with me last week. This is the second weekend, and uh, I said to him, I even forget how the conversation came up or something like that. But I said to him, I said, I'll never say to you, "Hey, dumbass, you shouldn't have done that that way." I said, the way I tend to approach things is, I'm going to ask you, why did you do that like that? And I said, it's not because I'm trying to be sarcastic or condescending it's because it's a legit question i want to know why you did that that way now if you didn't think at all and it was just instinctual okay we don't there's not really too much to go but i said if you can give me an answer as to why you did it that way that helps me maybe understand how your brain works different than mine and if we can start to understand how we think different then we can start to work on how do we think alike and then I can understand better how to get my message through to you on how I think stuff should be done. And he looked at me for a minute and you could tell that nobody had ever talked to him that way in the sense that, you know, wow. He's like, that's really smart. I'm like, no, it's not really smart. It's just a situation of I learned, you know, if somebody had to ask me that question that way, I would have been a lot more constructive than just somebody going, Hey, jackass, <laughs> you know, shine the light there. Right. Like instead it's, I want to try and ask them, why do you have the light shining there? You know, that's as an example. Yeah. So I think that's important is it's, you know, perspective and communication, what Lucas is always talking about, you know, 
just communicate better and think about what their perspective is and what yours is and try to find some common ground. So, you know, we have well, to, you know, I, so I, I work for the, the person who can be notorious for um, sticking it to people for not reading service information. You know, Keith is a stickler for service information because he knows the answer is most likely in service information. Um, and he's super smart. He's super successful. And some people think he's kind of an a-hole, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he can come across like that sometimes. Um, but he's never wrong. His intentions are never, you know, in malice, you know, he's, he's never malicious in what he's saying. He is just being stern and he's being firm in his belief that he is right. And this is what you should do. And a lot of times that comes across as, um, you know, as, as rude or mean. Um, but you know, you know, the saying that, you know, uh, strong men create good times and good times create weak men and weak men create bad and hard times, you know? And so right now we're in some hard times and, you know, we've, we've gotten lax on training. We've gotten lax on being involved in our, what we, what we should consider a career. Um, and we're in hard times right now. And so we're going to need some strong men to stand up and hurt some feelings and make people realize that in order to get past this point, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to grin and bear it and just do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it's, it's going to be sacrifices that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be unpopular. There's going to be some financial sacrifices that have to be made by some shops out there, right? Like it's just, this is the reality. We were just talking about this the other day. You can, you can turf a mechanic for, you know, you pay them $30 an hour and you turf them because of, you know, these issues. Yep. You can, and you probably should, but it may cost you 35 to get one that's going to come in with those same set of problems. Cause this is where the industry's at right now. So, you know, that's not a cautionary tale to anyone out there. Like if you've got somebody that's toxic in your, in your environment, get them gone. We have no room for that. We have no time for that. But unfortunately it's, it's a, it's a technician's market right now. And to get just another body to come in there that might bring a lot of the same problems, it's going to cost you more money. So sometimes I think I'll say it and it's going to be a resounding theme on some of these podcasts work on, the people that you have work on helping them through whatever it is they're going through, what they're struggling with, where their shortcomings are work on them. It's not just about training them. It's work on their relationships, work on the culture that you have in the building. If you do that, even if you part ways, the things that you learn on how to work through with those people will pay off very well with the people that stay with you and the next people that come in because it will make you a better person and a better employer, right? And then in turn, when you're a better employer, you attract better employees. And this is what we all need and this is what we all want. So I, I say that, work on the people that you have. It's not just about working yep. on others. Right, yeah, you gain, you gain so much from building someone else up. And you even if that person leaves, you have a... a set way of doing things now that you know will work you know you can say hey uh, bill was in this position when he first started and i know in three years 
with the things that I've done at this shop with training and pay and culture and everything that he will be at this certain level in two or three years. And so I know going into it with the new guy, Steve, it's going to be a couple years, but I'm going to get him there. He can get there. We can get this done, you know, instead of, you know, you're trying to just hire the perfect person. All these shops I've been to, they're all needing a diagnostician, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, I, I get it. You know, um, they, they really don't want any more parts changers. You know, they, they want, they want it. They want someone who can diag and I'm going right. But, um, you're probably going to have to build that person up and yeah, sending them to training. I mean, look what happened with me. I met my current boss at training. Yes. Okay. But for the five years that I stayed after I met Keith, I became a great, technician a great diagnostician he helped me out so much he helped out our shop there's a lot of money that was made off of knowing him knowing his contacts having him on speed dial using his his training website so that i could do programming there's it's never just going to be perfect you know and you never know like i'm now i left this shop but i i've told i've told my my former boss i've said hey if i find somebody working at a shop and i can tell that they're good and they don't they they deserve better i'm sending them your way you know and he said you won't you get in trouble for doing that you know for recruiting out of your job and i said uh no keith won't do that um you know he's for the good shops we don't we don't we don't care too much for shops that shouldn't be in business. So we're trying to link up the good techs with the good shops. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, already today I I was doing that today. I was telling a tech that I might, what my friend that I went and saw, he was saying, man, some things are not so great here, you know? And I said, listen, there's a shop three miles from here. that's hiring and they're nice people. It's a good shop. It's a clean shop. You know, this is their number. This is where to go, you know? I won't get in trouble for that. I, I don't think so at all. And, you know, that's just a natural progression that needs to happen and the bad shops need to go away. So. Yeah. We all, you know. we, all we all need to do better is what it, what it boils down to. We all need to do better. And, you know, we talked about that. One of the other podcasts about, you know, is that poaching? And I say, you can call it poaching, but really what it is, is it's just a natural progression as, as skills develop in a tech. Sometimes they become a better fit somewhere else. Helping that, it was with Justin Porter and I talked about this. You have to realize a lot of the time if you don't quote unquote poach that tech, that tech may not even stay in the industry. So right. All these owners that want to get upset about people poaching. Let's remember the bigger problem. Yes. Okay. So you lose an employee. That's a big problem. But if the industry loses another tech right now, I feel that's the bigger of the two problems. And, and, you know, that's, that may be unpopular. Maybe people are going to say, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a shop owner. That's cool. But the stats don't lie. We are in a shortage because techs are leaving the industry to go do something. Matt Fonzo talked about, you know, one of the top techs in the country that he knew leaves automotive to go work on forklifts. When we as an industry fail that level of tech, we don't have our shit together. And when we don't have our shit together, we can't really 
get mad at anybody but ourselves when that kind of thing happens, right? We all need to do better. Hey, if you could do me a favor real quick and like, comment on, and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise, and I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASAR group and to the Change in the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time.